Howdy, dream cowboys. Welcome back to the ninth episode of the Fan Driven Westworld Recap Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Westworld Season 1, Episode 9, The Well-Tempered Clavier, directed by Michelle McLaren and written by Kath Littenfelter and Dan Dates. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast. So a well-tempered clavier, do we ever find out what that's a reference to? Yeah, so it's the name of a, of a piece, a piano piece written by Bach. I, I, I'm going to say Bach. The thing we get the most flack for on this show by far, James, is our mispronunciation of words. But I also think it's what makes us us. You know? Yeah, and I'm sure it's a really good song by Botch. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of songs. They're all together, they're all on piano, and they're all slightly out of tune. Hence, the well-tempered clavier, which I believe is the way to say that. I think a Twitter follower told me how to say that. So, basically what that means is, when you write a really long piece of piano music, and you do a key change in the middle of it, sometimes between those key changes... If it's tuned completely correct before you start the whole thing, when you go do that key change, it will f- sound a little weird. So the idea between uh, Bach's well-tempered clavier is that he would basically make everything slightly out of tune to make all the ratios a little different between notes so that when he does do a key change, it sounds fine. And it sounds it sounds more musical. And it's something that basically the entirety of the world was like, that's dumb. And then Bach was like, yeah, we'll suck it. And it was fine. And it was great. And the way that kind of has to do with Westworld is that if you look at the coding of the hosts as a tuning system, they're tuned, basically, to be in their loops, to be believable within their loops. And when it gets weird, when it gets... When it gets odd, outside of that loop, is when they start acting strange. When the actual robot, being outside their loop, is, like, doing something that's real weird. But if the host coding was changed, if the host coding was altered in any way, say by, I don't know, like, a guy who's been dead for 30 years, or two technicians who might be cats... If that stuff gets changed and uh, the coding becomes, like, you know, equal tempered or whatever amount of tempered, that experiences outside their loops might be easier to stomach. Mm. It's all Greek to me. But we should mention that this episode was directed, as you said in the intro, by Michelle McLaren, who's got a very interesting TV directorial uh, pedigree. I... I was wondering what word you were going to use, and I'm glad it was pedigree. Michelle McLaren is just good at her job. She's directed four episodes of Game of Thrones, including Oathkeeper, Baron Maiden Fair, Second Sons, and First of His Name. She directed a bunch of the best episodes of Breaking Bad, and she was a co-executive producer along with Vince Gilligan on The X-Files, which is assumably how she also won her job with Breaking Bad. So this was a crazy episode with a ton of details, so we should jump right into it. 
a lot of people on the internet just wanted to call this episode confirmed because every theory that has ever been come up with for this show in its entire life was probably true last night except for like one giant one which they were like we're gonna give you all of it except for this one so take that and we were right about uh just generally episode nine for game of thrones and that's one thing you and i are self-conscious about is that we we talk too much about game of thrones on our westworld podcast but that's natural for us if ryan and i are in a room we'll talk too much about game of thrones so i like it but yeah and and you're correct like the HBO mentality is give me 10 episodes, make nine the gigantic one. You know, the every every time there's a giant battle in Game of Thrones, it's always an episode nine. And there wasn't any giant battle in Westworld in the season one. But you get the feeling that with where Maeve is maybe going, that one day there might be an actual action scene of like, a, a, a real war. There might be a, an actual season later in this show that is just a straight civil war, and that would be neat. Episode 9 begins with Bernard interviewing Maeve. This picks up right where the last episode ended with Maeve. And she's pretending to be offline, but you can see she like, steals a sly glance at him while he's not looking. Her acting in that moment was really great. It was... I'm asleep, but I'm not really asleep, and also I'm Maeve, so I'm very sassy. At first, Maeve is playing dumb, acting like a robot. She says that she attacked Clementine because of a malfunction where she thought she was defending a newcomer from new Clementine. Yeah, she lied perfectly because she's Professor X slash a superhero. Bernard discovers that her personality data has been modified like crazy, and he's about to contact Robert Ford when Maeve starts using her new host mind control powers to freeze him in place. So Bernard is like, uh, okay, you someone told you to attack Clementine. You attacked Clementine because you thought she was attacking some. That's odd, but that's not too odd. Wait, who, who gave all of these new things to you? And... Can you explain these weird, new, messed up emotions that you had in this moment? And then Maeve was like, no. Which was my favorite part. And then Maeve was like, nah, can't explain that. I guess ask more questions. Taking full control of Bernard, she forces him to clear her for return to the park and keep her changes a secret. And then she encourages him to seek the truth for himself before Bernard leaves the room visibly shaken. Because he forcibly had to just go through learning he was a robot again. This is now the second time in, like, what? A few days that Bernard is learning he's a robot. He's going through a lot. In the park, Logan has made William and Dolores his prisoners, and he's become a major in the Confederales army. William tries to tell Logan that there are bigger things going on than just, you know, his revenge and his war games. And that he wants Logan's help in freeing Dolores from the park. And he's handed the king now, basically. Did you yeah, see the pin he had I on? I saw that. That was weird. I mean, it was... It had to be a call... It had to be a shout-out to Game of Thrones, right? Uh, if you don't know, in this scene, Logan was wearing a pin on his... On the side that people uh, wear the 
it, it, when you're in Game of Thrones and, and you're the second in command, you're basically called the Hand of the King, and you have a pin that's on your left side. If if it's your left, everybody else is right. And it's a pin that tells you every, you're the Hand of the King. And Logan had one on in this scene, so... It had to. It, it could not just be. Yeah, a he walked over to the Game of Thrones set and stole it from somebody. Yeah, just Charles Dance was sleeping, so he took it from him and was like, "Yeah, take that, idiot." Logan scoffs at the idea of freeing Dolores, and says that he'll help William in a different way, and he begins accosting Dolores. <laughs> I'll help you in the way that is is me beating up this lady. In a panic, Bernard goes to Ford's office, but he isn't there. We see Ford going down to the sub-levels to meet with Bernard amongst the decommissioned hosts. Bunch of dongs down there. Dong meter was off the charts. If you're looking for dongs, you've come to the right place. Bernard confronts him, saying that he's discovered that Arnold was the one that really designed the hosts. And he demands that Ford access his memories so that he can view his past interactions with Arnold's. He threatens Ford by arming old Clementine with a gun who is apparently still capable of committing acts of violence. Ooh, best name got a Glock. Entering his memories, first Bernard sees that same scene in the hospital with his son. Uh, He goes on to see the conversation with his ex-wife and his attacks on Teresa and Elsie. This jolts Bernard back to the present. He asks Ford what he did to Elsie, and Ford simply replies that, you know, they've had to make some tough choices, and it's best that we all just not remember. Yeah, he's using the price of business thing again. And then at the end, Bernard is like... Okay, fine, whatever. Send me back. Which I thought was not a good line. I mean, I the thing about this episode was that they had a lot of... Uh, this is one of those lines that is one of the culminating lines of the season. So every now and again, it's... it To me, I, I call them like um, uh, three-fourths action movie lines. A movie line that would happen in a bad action movie about three-fourths the way through. Right when you think everything bad's about to happen, but it all starts to come around. Send me back is was not a good line, uh, but I was like, I guess so. You do Bernard. He wants to be sent back. He wants to do it in a dramatic fashion. Clementine Pennyfeather, best name, currently has a gun pointed at Robert Ford. So he, in the first time in a very long time, God has a an instrument of God pointed at him, and Bernard is going through the whole "I'm a robot" thing again. But this is also kind of the scene we've been waiting for, right? I mean, the scene before this one with Maeve and, and Bernard, in my opinion, is probably the best Maeve scene of the season because it didn't have the two cat characters. By the way, I keep calling them cats. It's Felix and Sylvester. They're, we, they're both cats, basically. Not in real life. I just like to call them cats. And then I think we get one of the better Ford-Bernard conversations right here. But it's more so than anything, I think, just the culminating conversation. The conversation that you just had to see coming. At some point, Bernard had to be like, okay, I'm in charge. Tell me what's wrong with me. And Ford is like, you're not going to like it, but okay, because you have a gun pointing at me. And then Clementine, by the way, looks great, by the way. Doesn't she look like a a free angel? Like, she had a, a white robe on, like she had just been baptized. 
And she has, like, no cares in the world because she has, like, no programming. All she cares about is where to point this gun and why. Yeah, and she's got the white robe on because Bernard is nice to his fellow robot brethren and he dresses them. <laughs> she would have been she would have been naked, but this is Bernard, so she put the robe on. That's actually a good catch, probably. Back in the park, Logan is tearing into William about his betrayal of him and his sister. He shows him a photo of Logan's sister and his bride-to-be, and it's the same photo that Peter Abernathy discovered in episode one, except that it looks new and not crinkled and stuff. Logan just has a picture of his sister on him at all times? Right, and it's not even like a wallet-sized photo either. (laughs) No, it's like a big Polaroid. Like, what? It's not a Polaroid. It's like a big, big, but like, that's so weird. Why did you have that in your pocket, man? I, I, I get it. It's the callback. This is the picture that drove Peter Abernathy one insane. So it begs the question, hey, that's in Logan's pocket now. How does it end up on the Abernathy ranch 30 years from now, probably? And it's just more confirmation that William is the man in black. If he's not at this point, they're going to have to pull some convoluted nonsense out of their ass to, to make that not the case. It's also basically confirmation of two time frames. By the way, there was this big conversation this week on Reddit, uh, timelines versus time frames, and the pretentious people there were like, uh, if it was timelines, there'd be like parallel versions of it. And I'm doing a condescending tone because I think it's pretty, it's a stupid delineation. But, uh, uh obviously time, f- uh, lines is not the exact correct way to say it, but everyone knows what we're talking about. I'm going to say time frames, I guess, maybe, unless I hate it. Uh, I see I what you're saying. Yeah, so a time frame would be different points in time in the same reality, but a timeline would be an alternate reality, like when when Marty McFly goes back to 1985, but it's the evil 1985 where Biff rules the town. That's a different timeline. Yeah, so that's the the current internet battle. Uh, many there are many current internet battles about this TV show, and that being one of them. And I think it's one of the stupider ones. I do see the point, though. Either way, two timeline slash time frame theory confirmed. Three probably confirmed, and four almost definitely confirmed. There's basically four at this point. Actually, there have been some great posts this week as to see the the assumed. Uh, chronological order of this show and it all is kind of sort of beginning to make sense so I look forward to the showrunners exploding them on me Logan starts beating up on Dolores and he actually cuts open her stomach revealing her robotic parts to prove her inhumanity once and for all she does not take it well no in a rage Dolores says that Arnold had built a beautiful world but people like Logan keep ruining it. Kind of reminiscent of what she said in the pilot, where she gave her first monologue as to what she believes. It was kind of an altered version of her first monologue, where, as you might recall, she was like, they're always good in this world, and the world can always... uh, is brighter than you believe it to be. She does not believe that anymore. Her life is different. Also, as... William is strapped to a chair being forced to watch his new friend slash obsession, Dolores, 
be ripped apart by Logan and be and just be treated poorly. He screams, "Don't touch her!" And it was the exact, it was the exact way he said, "You will call her as Liam McPoyle in in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" episode. It was the exact. I heard he he screamed, "Don't touch her!" And for a split second, he was Liam McPoyle. Ugh, it was wonderful. I can just the imagine the director going, "No, no, come on, uh, Jimmy, I need you to think back to that episode." If it's always sunny, that's what I need from you right now. What I'd like you to do is go back to where you were on that musty couch in that comedy show episode that cost 50 bucks to make. I know the budget's a little higher now, but that's the moment where the acting got good, bud. Let's get into it. Logan disagrees with the Dolores, saying that this world was built for him. And Dolores replies, well, if that's the case, then it should all be burned down. She yeah, she grabs his knife, cuts Logan's face, his pretty face, and then flees into the wilderness. The man in black doesn't have a cut on his face, does he? Right, so Logan, not man in black for sure, maybe. Because he, cause there's no way they would give a character a scar and then not carry that scar over. People love carrying scars over in stories. That's like their favorite thing. At a camp in the woods, Hector and his gang are arguing over their hall, the safe that they stole from Maeve's saloon. Hector walks off to take a piss, where he encounters Maeve with a rifle pointed at him. Recruitment session. She tells Hector how his storyline is about to end. His entire gang is about to shoot each other out over the safe and all die. Line by line, she tells him. She basically reads his script to him, and he's like, You're crazy. Before all this can go down, just as Armistice is about to kill Hector, Maeve saves him, disrupting the whole loop. She says, well, this first part I think I wrote, because it says, See, idiot. (laughs) That doesn't feel like something Maeve said. This feels like something I was saying at the time. But, see, idiot... And then she said, I won't break into hell and rob the gods blind. Or she she wants to break into hell and rob the gods. So, sounds like something that Hector would be really good at. But Hector's still kind of infatuated about what's in the safe. And then Maeve says something kind of pointed, which is, I could just make you follow me. But I don't want to. I want you to open this safe. I want you to see what they have in store for you. You don't even know, man. You want to be on my side. And I'm not going to force you to do it because you're about to be you're about to be 100% signed up without even me Professor Xing you. Right. She enlists Hector in her plot by opening that safe and revealing it to be empty, which she draws an allegory for the entire world they inhabit is all just an empty gesture. Hector realizes the truth in that moment and kissing Maeve agrees to join her. He says we've been here before. We, and then Maeve says, we've also done this. And then they kiss, and you're like, ooh, cool. This is my favorite Maeve episode, by far. And I think it's, I mean, it's pretty straightforward as to why. You didn't get Felix or Sylvester. You just got her Maeve with other amazing actors in the Westworlds. And with Bernard, and uh, I loved, absolutely loved Maeve in this episode. And, you know, they get to the end there. They're both really excited about... Uh, taking over the world, burning it all to the ground. And then they do, I think, what you have to do in that moment. 
and that's Freedom Bank. They're passionately making out in one of the tents, and in order to send them down to the lab, Maeve starts a fire which consumes everything as they're embracing. Uh, just embracing, James? They're getting into it. Yeah, there's some sexy, burning death sex happening. It's crazy. It was a fun scene. And it was very similar music to Game of Thrones, actually. It was the first time I heard a song and I thought, that sounds more like a Game of Thrones song than a Westworld song. Um, either way, the music was 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 great throughout this entire episode. This was one place where it was I felt like a, a little misstep. Still pretty great and still an amazing scene. Back at the Confederale army camp, Logan apologizes and William accepts weird it's weird right that doesn't make sense but okay it feels like something's being set up to explode Logan unties William and he says that this has really been a bonding experience between the two of them and they have a drink together and hug it out yeah Las Vegas rules he literally says Las Vegas like, not actually Las Vegas rules but he says you know what happens here stays here like, how much of a one-dimensional character could you be, Logan? Yeah, for Logan, this is still, like, the hangover. <laughs> but for William, this has become uh, ex machina. Yeah, Logan thinks that he's Bradley Cooper, when in reality, he's, I don't know, probably, he might be Bradley Cooper. Teddy is woken up by the evil blonde host, Angela? Yes? Is that her name? An- yeah, I've just been calling her Angel. Yeah, Angel, Angela, anything. And he has an arrow in his shoulder, picking up where his story ended last episode. The man in black scolds him for ruining his big plans. Teddy asks Angela where Wyatt is, and she says that he is yet to return. He is yet to return. Do you think Wyatt's real? Do you think Dolores is Wyatt? Do you think Teddy's Wyatt? Who's Wyatt? I thought Teddy was Wyatt for a second, but then it didn't seem to pan out that way. Now it kind of feels like Wyatt is just uh, one of those mind controlly things that Maeve is doing. Like Maeve's mind controlly is Wyatt, or Dolores' mind controlly is Wyatt, or Dolores is just Wyatt, or. I just don't think Wyatt's Wyatt. Teddy flashes back to the day that he and Wyatt massacred the rest of their regimen, but Angela questions if this story is really true, and it wakes him up to the realization that Teddy had acted alone on that day. It feels like the bicameral mind and or somebody screaming into Teddy Flood's head as if they are gods was possibly a reason why he did this. He remembers also killing Angela on that day. And when he wakes up, Angela tells him that when he is ready, he will join Wyatt again in the city swallowed by sand. Escalante? Is that what it was? Art came back with some strange ideas. Either way, if it, if it wasn't Escalante, it was the city that Ford just unburied. Or, yeah, unburied. <laughs> Either way, Teddy's life sucks. And he gets stabbed again, because Teddy always dies. Yeah, after she kills Teddy, the man in black questions her about the maze. She replies with the same stock answer as Lawrence's daughter, and says that the maze isn't for him before knocking him out cold. Yeah, at this point, it's pretty straightforward. Maze is for Dolores. It's not for you. Or really, any of the robots. And not for you. When the man in black wakes up, he's got a noose tied around his neck, looped over a tree branch, and the other end hitched to his horse. I like this so much. Because 
it feels like something that had to be done because Angel or whoever couldn't just straight up shoot someone, so they had to come up with a smarter plan as how to murder a human being if they wanted. And the look on the man in black's face when he sees that he he just looks up, and he looks at the horse, he understands what's happening to him, and his face is very like, gosh dang, I'm on a tight spot. He slowly moves to the knife, which is still buried in Teddy's stomach, and he's able to cut himself free just as the horse begins running away, choking him. And then, Charlotte Hale comes out of nowhere, and the man in black is a, is super mad, and says, Charlotte, you, I told you, no interruptions. And in one sentence, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's right, Charlotte arrives to inform the man in black about Teresa's death. He's like, I don't care. Also, it's not an accident. Obviously, you knew that. You're not dumb. She tries to enlist his help in convincing the board to oust Ford, and he refuses. She says not everything is a part of this crazy game you're playing, and uh, the man in black looks at her like, you're wrong. Saying that he knows now where he needs to go, he bids her farewell and wishes her good luck. Right. I mean, she comes down because... Uh, well, in this scene, we learn that he's on the board, too, and that Charlotte Hale is basically actually only coming to see him because she wants his vote to push Vor- uh, Ford out. She also drops one line where she's like, oh, it's, you know, you're such an important member of the board in regards to this park, considering, you know, all the money you dumped into it after that disaster all those years ago. Yeah, he saved the park, which he's claimed himself. Yes, he, he, he's William. William's about to encounter a disaster in episode 10 and then be like, from now on, I will be the man in black. Because I most likely killed Logan and took his job. And now that I'm in charge, here's all this money. I'm, I'm going to invest and everything is fine now. The man in black tells Charlotte not to disturb him again. But that is right before he, uh, she asks basically like, what's your final say on Ford? And he says, you know, Ford's narratives are not the ones that matters to him. Multiple times, the man in black has claimed that Ford is an imposter and not the real, uh, not the real stuff that he's there for. He doesn't care. He's there for Arnold's narratives, and that's it. He truly believes Arnold was the guy with the talent, and Ford is just there to be evil because he's Anthony Hopkins. And if you have Anthony Hopkins as a character, and you don't make him at least a little evil. In, in, in this case, he's not just a little evil. He's just, oh my god, he's so good. In the map room, a random tech tells Stubbs that a signal from Elsie's personal device has been detected in the park. Suspense. He goes in to investigate it in person, alone. I don't know, I don't know why he wouldn't take, like, one other person. Because, because that wouldn't, be, because... There he encounters some members of the Ghost Nation who ignore his commands and attack him. Yeah, he got clever girled. He's looking at a bunch of them in front of him. He asks them to stop. They don't. And then when he points his gun at them, he gets tackled from the left. Because it's the same thing the Raptors did to uh, the very nice man who says clever girl in Jurassic Park. Do you think that Elsie is alive? has hacked the Ghost Nation, and is now in charge of the entire uh, native population of Westworld as their leader? 
That would be cool just because I want her to be alive and also, like, you got a Hemsworth brother just to kill him in season one. Everyone on the internet's calling him Discount Matt Damon or uh, Discount Chris Pine. They're saying the same. Elsie and Stubbs are both apparently to the internet discount versions of other people. Logan groggily wakes up to find the Confederale is completely wiped out. What the crap happened? What did we miss? We missed some stuff. Yeah, bodies are dismembered. It looks like some stuff's Legs, on fire. Arms. There's a bunch of stuff going. There's like everyone is not even piece. Everyone's in pieces. The last thing we saw was William being like, all right, taking Logan's beer, taking a swig back. We're all friends now. What the crap happened in between? William coldly confronts Logan, saying that he finally figured out how to play this game. He pulls a knife on Logan and tells him that he needs his help to find Dolores. Logan goes for his gun. It's not there because William took it. And it was in this moment I was like, wait, is Logan the man in black? Because, which he can't be, he has that, or I guess he could, I don't know. He has that cut on his face now, which is just, it feels like a weird red herring for something. But either way, the man in black says he was born in this park when he, and in the real moment was when he killed Maeve, or killed Maeve's daughter and really saw sentience for that moment. But if William is the man in black and he has up to this point just not mentioned that one time where he committed a massacre, that's odd, right? It kind of sounded like when he was telling the story to Teddy last episode, he's like, me killing Maeve and her daughter, that was the first evil thing I ever did. Right, and this is pretty evil, right? I mean, it's, I don't, it, it what it feels like is everyone went to sleep, William woke up, with after manipulating Logan to let him go and got a knife and then cut people into pieces for no reason by himself. Who helped him? It didn't look like anybody helped him. It looked like he 1v20'd it brutally for the entire night. And Logan, was he just sleeping the whole time? How did he do it silently? I have many questions. And at the end of that scene, he has one line that before he leaves, before he leaves uh, Logan... And he says, and don't call me Billy. And I wonder if that will be the line that the man in black says in episode 10 to give us the final confirmation. Right. Ford will be like, so how did you like the maze, Billy? Like, don't call me Billy, Robert. And and don't call me Billy, Rob. In the sub-basement, Bernard is reliving the memory of his dying son again. Because why not? A lot of fun for him. He also remembers the aftermath of original Maeve's suicide. He was confounded by how she killed herself after memories were supposed to have been erased, and he begins to malfunction and freeze. I'm so glad, because I remember seeing that little cutaway of Maeve stabbing herself in the neck. And my first thought was, you just cleared her memory. She comes back out of stasis... And immediately kills herself because of a memory that was just wiped? Like, how does that even happen? Bernard asks that question. He's confounded and completely glitches out, which I think is pretty much the only thing that could have happened in that moment. He then flashes back to all the memories he has relating to the 
Arnold situation. Anytime Ford referenced Arnold to him or Arnold came up in conversation, he starts to remember. He asks Ford why he was given such a tragic backstory of his dead son, and it's revealed that this is his personality cornerstone, the event upon which his whole character revolves. And Ford kind of gives the credit to Arnold, saying that Arnold kind of figured out that making a cornerstone uh, very tragic usually worked out the best because it had the most grounding in a painful reality. He asks to be shown a memory of when Arnold built him, and Ford insists that that's impossible because it was he who built him. Right. And you're like... Bernard is Arnold, but we'll wait. We'll wait till the end. Dolores runs back to her ruined hometown, but this time it's all still standing, though it's still a ghost town. So, while we're here, I'd like to take a moment to say that I think something that we have not talked enough about and have not differentiated enough is there are cuts a lot of Dolores scenes where she's with William and then she's not. And up until last week, I had not been paying enough attention to them. And it becomes very obvious once you see that William is there in one shot and not in the other. And why might that be that Dolores is kind of not obviously, I would say obviously, but I haven't, I haven't been picking up on it nearly enough. And I watched this, show with a fine-tooth comb while taking notes that Dolores will be with William and then it will be another shot of not with William and that's just her in present time doing the maze again and following the exact path that she was following 30 years ago when she was with William we see that multiple times we're like she's on the ground and she's remembering what happened 30 years ago and then she comes back to present and is like okay this is where I am but now no one's trying to murder me And I'm just here by myself. She's recreating the maze from 30 years ago, but in the present. And that might have been really obvious to a lot of people. But again, I am like a human being who watches this show. I've watched it so, so many times. And it took until last week for me to understand every time they did that switch to just be like, oh, okay, she's in the present now. Oh, okay, she's in the past. And now she's in the present. No, she's in the past. And now in the present. It's, it is genuinely confusing in a very fun way. The ringing of a bell leads her to the church at the center of town, and a voice tells her to remember. Kind of sounds like Arnold or Bernard, perhaps? Bernardold. Bernard. In the church, there are dozens of hosts that seem to be suffering, and they're talking to themselves, and... Uh, dispersed within these scenes are the scenes of Ford and Bernard talking about the bicameral mind, so this is clearly related. Yeah, they're all becoming lunatics, as was mentioned in prior episodes, where they they think God's talking to them, and it turns out that just doesn't work. It just makes them go insane. So they go to the church for answers, which I think is really cool. She enters the... Conf- because it's God! Sorry. <laughs> because it's God! I, I just really liked that they were all sitting there like, 
oh please you're supposed to be here and then the guy and then there's just a, a guy sitting in a basement and he knows they're all in the church and there he's just saying to him like be fine be cool are you guys not cool Oh, I messed up. Yeah, it's a funny idea that <laughs> these 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 robots could be like devout Christians, because uh, you know, heretics we are. There's still a slim chance you and I might go to heaven, but surely the robots aren't. And, and in the future, there's a good chance people are probably less religious, and so you know, maybe the people outside the park are no longer faithful, but these robots still are. It's it's one of the cooler ideas that this show is positing and i liked it a lot she enters the confession booth which lowers her down to a dilapidated lab full of either corpses or destroyed hosts another massacre bunch of massacres this episode in a sudden flash the hallways transform into a nice clean working condition and she sees young robert ford hurrying on his way to confront arnold uh, the CGI Hopkins coming back so good although it does look better when he's just standing still when he was walking it looked a little weird she approaches a door which leads to the small lab Ford small lab from earlier episodes back in the hospital room in his mind palace Bernard tells his son that his entire life and all of his pain is just a lie Bummer, dude. He tearfully tells his son that he has to let him go to move forward. His son tells him, open your eyes, which brings him to his very first memory of Dr. Robert Ford saying, open your eyes. Ford is then shown to be teaching him how to act more like Arnold, and it's revealed definitively that... Bernard was built to be a perfect replacement for his dead partner, Arnold. Which we all saw coming. Well, yeah. And we all, you and I, at least called since episode three or four. And I think this is going to, it's going to be one of the uh, main talking points on, on what the, I think what the best way to watch this show is. Because... A very interesting conversation that is occurring right now is because the internet got so many things right this episode, specifically Bernard as Arnold and uh, multiple timelines, four to be basically, like not even two, not even three, probably four, three or four. Uh, because of all of these things being correct, it's made an interesting conversation of what is the best way to watch a show like this. Like if we had... If we had done this during Lost, with which I know a lot of people did, but I, I didn't, I would have liked to know the difference between watching Lost while talking to everyone about what they think is about to happen next, as opposed to just watching it. And I know it's different for everyone else, and they gain pleasure from entertainment in different ways. I think you and me, obviously, in a way where we really like thinking about it deeply, and, we, and we'll talk about more this more later. But it's com- making a very interesting conversation of what is the best way to take in entertainment, and it's probably not the same for everybody. Down in the lab, Dolores is met by Arnold. It's 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 the it's the actor who plays Bernard, but he's Arnold and he's dressed differently, and I feel like his mannerisms are maybe a little bit different. 
Yeah, they're slightly different, like because doc- their Bernard's mannerisms are Arnold's mannerisms through the filter of Doctor Robert Ford. So this one is actually Arnold, and he's so proud of his little lady. She finished the maze. I've been looking for you, she says. She goes on to say that following the maze has brought her nothing but pain. Yeah, and he's like, perfect. That's exactly what was supposed to happen. Arnold says that he regrets this, but he isn't able to help her and that she knows why. And Dolores... Because she has to remember, dude. Right, and she does say, yeah, I know you can't help me because you're dead and because you exist only as a memory because I killed you. What? We haven't seen that yet. Dolores cries as the form of Arnold fades away. Sad. She's remembering more things. It's super sad. There's there. You thought every time something sad happens to Dolores, you're like, more sad things can't happen to her. It can't get worse. We're wrong. Yeah, it gets it gets much worse very soon. Dolores heads back up to the surface of the church, where she runs into the man in black. She recoils in terror as he advances on her. The doors open in slow motion. She hopes it's anyone but him. And it was a cool moment in television history. Bernard tells Ford that he will realize Arnold's dream of freeing all of the sentient hosts. And then Ford makes a good point. <laughs> he, at this point, Bernie is is full angry. And I think Ford comes back with what in reality is the truth, which is if Bernard starts making all the hosts turn on and be sentient as they started to learn what Bernard has done to them they might not like it all that much which Bernard's like we've had this conversation before haven't we Ford also points out that the outside world will not accept the advent of sentient robots and humans by nature dominate and destroy all other forms of life including the earth itself and it's kind of hinted at that maybe through some means perhaps Dramatic environmental collapse, something bad has happened to the Earth, and they may not even be on Earth. Yeah, adding fuel to the fire of Westworld is in Antarctica, perhaps. And this all pushes Bernard over the line. He's had it. This is the last he's going to deal with Dr. Robert Ford. And he says, pull the trigger, Clementine. Clementine points the gun at Ford, but she isn't able to kill him. Piano doesn't murder the player if he doesn't like the music asking why Ford didn't just stop Bernard at any point, since Ford wasn't actually under any real threat. Ford replies that he had hoped that, in learning the full truth, Bernard would have decided to join Robert Ford of his own volition. I just hoped you would give up. A hope which he now says was naive. Yeah, a little. <laughs> a little bit. But, you know, in this moment, we Dr. Robert Ford says what he's been saying all season. It's, you know... You guys keep thinking I'm not God. I am. So, really get that through your brains, dudes. Bernard despairs. He gives up. He says to Ford, you know, just erase my memory already and get it over with. We'll just go back to normal. That feels like it would be too easy. Ford says, no, this is all too clinical and and scripted seeming. You know, let's do this like real people and, you know... In your despair, you'll just shoot yourself. That's what you'll do. He says that, like, in third person, Bernard Bernard walked over to Clementine, 
took the pistol. Overcome with grief and remorse, he pressed the muzzle to his temple. And as soon as Ford left this room, he would kill himself. Bernard says something to the effect of, Don't do this. Ford says, It's too late. They both are standing on the stage at the Emmys. And they're thanking people. (laughs) And Arnold, no, not Arnold, not Bernard. It's all very confusing. Dr. Robert Ford says, I have a new story to tell. And then he turns around and he starts walking out of that room. Bernard's face, amazing, amazing, just really dumbfounded. And then we hear a voice that I don't think is Bernard's. Yeah, it seems like Arnold calls out to Ford using his true voice. And Ford... And uh, Ford knows it. <laughs> right, addressing addressing Arnold... Ford apologizes and says that he should never have put his trust in humans because they will always disappoint you. He told him, man. He said that multiple times. He just... He just didn't learn. As Ford walks away, we see the silhouette of Bernard shooting himself. Goodbye, my friend. That's the end of the episode. Sad. Bernard is dead, dude. Who's more dead, Bernard or Elsie? Or Stubbs. Everybody's dead. How... How is this going to be a second season? Everyone's like half dead. How is it going to be a second season when they're not even going to... It's not going to be out till 2018 and Anthony Hopkins is like a million years old. Uh, We all have a lot of... We have a lot of questions. This is... was a great episode and I want more of it. And all these actors aren't going to live forever and start making these seasons quicker. So let's just run down really quick before we get into theories. Who is either dead or in peril of being dead? Teresa's dead. Clementine Elsie's isn't dead. most assumably dead. Clementine's half dead. She needs to be... I assume, though, that Maeve is going to find her. In the next week on Westworld, Maeve is in cold storage, starting her army, and sees Clementine and is like, old friend. Assumably in that moment, uploading Clementine's old sh- stuff to her brain, and we get best name number one back, Clementine Bowl 2016. And then maybe she'll see the broken remains of Bernard and like, oh, this he was kind of a cool guy. I'll, I'll put him back together. Right. Is Bernard's body with a hole in his head still just laying there? Because if, Ma- if he is, I bet Maeve will just be like, pick him up. Maybe, he violent- maybe she violent delights him. You know what I'm talking about? Très possible. Well, whoa. I don't know what that means. So it's it's... It's hard to pin down a theory for the last remaining episode, but something I think clearly will happen in episode 10, we will get the, as we talked about before, Man in Black is William, 100% confirmation forever. Yeah, that's, I think, the last one. Jimmy Simpson has been quoted as saying that there's no BS cliffhangers at the end of this season, I think they answer most of the questions that they've asked, which is a lot of them, although most of them were answered in in episode 9, which could have just been called confirmed, because every theory in the world was confirmed in episode 9, except for, is William the Man in Black? So, it stands to reason that we should learn that in episode 10. Also, I believe that, I think it's pretty clear now that the maze used to be what Arnold created to be the final test of consciousness. But I don't think the maze is that anymore. I think it's just part of Robert Ford's pawn game where the maze is a trap. Anyone who finishes it 
is going to be locked in that room or something. Well, not really, because Dolores got down there already, right? Jeez, I don't know. I mean, I do, but I, I don't know. My question, I more of a question I than a theory, <laughs> is the maze a literal maze, or it's like a metaphorical personality shift you gotta go through, because the man in black has been looking for a maze this whole time, and now he's followed Dolores all the way to the church, is what's below the church the maze? Is the maze just like the power to become sentient that all the hosts can find in their heart? Like, I'm not, I'm confused. Yeah, I don't think there's a literal maze at this point. I think it's a metaphor. And, like, I don't think there is any place that's, like, made out of bushes that is looks like the design that's on the inside of most of those robots' skulls. I think Dolores has finished the maze multiple times. So we got a lot of tweets this week and uh, last night. Many people, well, we'll just say them all at once, many people were pointed out and were upset with us for not realizing that the song was Amy Winehouse's Back to Black was the song from last episode that neither you nor I could identify. We alarmingly are not big enough Amy Winehouse fans. By the way, uh, alarmingly is our is our very lovely LJ word of the week. Uh, this w- entire episode was alarming. And I guess I need to listen to more Amy Winehouse. Lauren Yobbs at Lay Yobbs asks, Ever consider a segment on absurd outlier theories? For example... Logan is the man in black, Ford is literally God, Dolores is a horcrux. I just love Dolores is a horcrux. I like the idea that you break into one of the robot's spines, and in where the place that should be an explosive in vertebrae C6, it's just like a piece of Ford that keeps him alive. Andy Sachs and very lovely LJ shouted us out, telling other people to check out our podcast, which was cool of you. Thanks, guys. Both those human beings constantly tell people to listen to a our podcasts, and I appreciate it every time. We got another tweet from Louis Hertham, who is the actor that plays Peter Abernathy. That was cool. He's currently in Colombia filming an episode of Narcos. I believe they're season three. And he landed there, sent us a tweet, and we appreciate it. He is, I think, going to be back in season two. Him and Lee Sizemore together forever. At Alexandra Sandu pointed out that we were trying to pronounce a German word with a French accent, so we're just completely off the map in our foreign word pronunciation. So it goes. In the same vein, Frederick Ivan at Fred said, Clavier will suffice. That's the most frequent pronunciation I've heard, and that's the one you used at the beginning of this episode, Ryan. Bravo. That's because I read his text, I read his tweet, and I acted accordingly. I came correct. At KRMCC, Carrie McHugh says, I want to see Clementine versus Clementine. And also, Dolores is still on that stool. Dolores is still, is not on that stool. Dolores is, we, everyone who, including myself, who was not, like, getting the Dolores is in two places at once, reenacting the maze thing she did 30 years ago, was on that stool game. She's just sitting there. Turns out she's not. She was busy. And... What was the other one from that? She wants to see Clementine, the Clementine Bowl. Oh, yeah, Clementine Bowl 2016. Everybody feels that, I think. And by everybody, I mean me and hopefully everybody. But new Clementine is going down because old Clementine's got some, 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 she knows kung fu. Very lovely LJ tweets, there's only, there's only one way there's one timeline, and that's if Dolores is imagining she's with William reliving the first critical failure. Well, if she's, he knocked over my mic. How dare you? 
Well, if she's remembering the stuff that happened with William, or it's just happening in out-of-time-frame order that doesn't really... doesn't Practical difference isn't too much, huh? No, we haven't really given a lot of time or effort to the idea that Dolores is an unreliable narrator, that she's lying to us for a lot of this, or that she thinks that she's telling the truth but isn't. I, I, I'm choosing not to watch her storyline in within the pretense that she's lying the whole time. I am watching it with a with an eye for when she just doesn't understand what's happening to her. But at this point, I think that she's kind of doing exactly what she believes to be true. And to read further into it, I don't I don't think we'll we'll gain any value. She's doing the maze. The answer or question really is, like Neo at the end of the third matrix, how many times has she done this? Dean Wallman at D Wall M. Big question from episode eight. What happened to William's hat when they arrived at Dolores' memory village? William's hat's gone. Well, it was white before. It can't be new. Uh, that goes to his next tweet. Will William kill Logan and literally take his black hat? Let's hope not, because Logan's if... hat sucks. You said exactly what I was thinking. And in the very next scene with William, after we assume he kills his robot, the one he mercy killed, his white hat is gone. Hashtag no coincidence. Oh, damn. That That's yeah. true. I mean, and we, he, he almost definitely murdered that robot. He goes on to ask, with season one wrapping up, where will we turn our podcast skills until the next season? And that's a wonderful question to set us up for telling you uh, what we have in store for you post-Westworld season. In a very dark, dark world in which we are waiting for Westworld season two, which airs in 2018, we will be giving you every production info uh, thing that comes out. We'll be, we'll be telling you as much about Westworld as humanly possible, but uh, there are going to be some lulls. So we're going to be doing a Red Dead Redemption Let's Play we're going to be doing a, a Western movie club where we watch Western movies. We tell you which ones we're going to be watching that week and doing a full recap and review on them and a few other things. Uh, and so stay tuned to our Twitter and we'll let you know. Lauren Yobbs tweets again, outlier theory. The buried town is like Pompeii and everyone is frozen in time and it gets unearthed and then Maeve leads them into battle. Hmm. I, I mean, I, at this point, I think that buried town was like the beta village. It was where they were trying to teach the robots to be robots. And then it all just went badly because they were trying that bicameral mind thing and it turned them all insane. So that there were multiple massacres and they were like, okay, now that we're not doing bicameral mind anymore, let's bury that place, not worry about that ever again, and just hope nobody remembers, especially the robots. Real Moxilla at Moxilla Orig sends at this rate episode 10 will be a tv gasm it will be 90 minutes long so oh damn so yeah. our podcast is gonna be like two hours long yeah it actually probably will be josh fraught at jrf all the main time period theories being confirmed really only one left for them to spell out with a big neon sign in episode 10 and I believe he's talking about William equals man in black. 
And for the confused masses, I suggest they read Joanna Robinson's articles on Vanity Fair after they listen to your podcast. Hmm. There are a lot of resources out there to, to, that talks about Westworld in very thoughtful ways. I encourage everyone to really deep dive into uh, some theories on the internets if you like that kind of if you like that kind of thing. Which I think this is a good moment to talk to ask you this question really quickly, James. the The way we watch the show, and I I just had this conversation with another one of my best friends who who is confounded by the way that I watch shows where I like looking up theories and I like trying to figure out what's going to happen next. And I, and he sees that as me trying to ruin it for myself. And I see it as making it an interactive social adventure time. But I do see his point. Do you believe that there is a threshold or a point where it becomes the way we're watching the show becomes too much and we gain less entertainment because of it? I think it comes down to personal preference perhaps there are instances when you and I are reading too deep into something that we should just kind of be turning our brains off and enjoy, i.e. the Maeve storyline. Yeah, sure. Exactly. The Maeve storyline is, I think, the perfect the perfect version of this. Because the more I was reading this week about... There was a great article that's just called Felix and Sylvester are regular guys. Cut them some slack. Like, if you were in this situation and a killer robot was telling you to do stuff, stuff... Even if the part in the beginning was a little flimsy, you wouldn't just be like, no, uh, you would maybe try to brick her when the bricking was good. And that is obviously a, something that people are going to bring up forever, but cut this storyline some slack. And while that is something that I will give some credence to, I'm not going to just start not thinking things are bad when I think they're bad. You know, there were two or three lines in this episode nine that I thought were not good. Send me back being one of them. And there were moments in the Maeve storyline this season that were, in my opinion, just not good. And the way you knew that was you were seeing brilliance. Other scenes, every scene with Anthony Hopkins. Can you think of one Anthony Hopkins scene this year that was bad? No, they were all amazing. It's Anthony Hopkins. He's the King Midas of screen. Right, and Sandy Newton's an amazing actress. She proved that today when she was, not today, but in this episode when she was doing like the fake under with Bernard. And it was a wonderful acting moment where she was doing so many emotions all at once. And it was a wonderful Maeve scene. My, again, I'll say my, my favorite of this season. And it was just because of the gravitas of the acting within it. And it's something that is lacking when Sylvester and Felix are on screen. But I think I will give it the benefit of the doubt from now on. I just will keep calling a spade a spade when I think it's, you know, a spade. And there's different strokes for different folks. I think more so than you, I like to completely kind of sequester myself from leaks or spoilers or just any information to the next episode of the next movie or anything. But, uh more extreme than where you are that you like to research everything my wife when she gets into a tv show or a movie the first thing she'll do is go and read every last spoiler which interesting astounds me i i can't i can't get into that headspace i would never do that no no and so i think this is actually it's the same reason i don't read the game of thrones books 
because and, and you wouldn't think I would. You would think in the mindset that I have where I really like I really like looking up things about shows that I enjoy and theories, but I don't like seeing spoilers. Like I don't, I don't like ruining it for myself. That's the point that just it's everyone has a line in the sand where it becomes ruining it for themselves. And for me, reading the Game of Thrones books is what ruining it for me is because television is my favorite medium. So I'm going to allow one of the greatest television series of all times, in my opinion, to surprise me as often as it can. And I don't have that exact thing with Westworld because of the amount of research that I do and that we we take part in. But I also see the value of talking to all these amazing people we're meeting on Twitter every week now and having a conversation about them. And that value, I think, outweighs me perhaps ruining things for myself more than I would like. Yeah, if we're overanalyzing it to our own detriment, honestly, I think that's more than made up with the the fact that there's a whole community around the fandom of this show and, you know, we're all getting really into it together. I mean, there's a Twitter handle that somebody named their Twitter Penny Feather Best Name. That, to me, is the coolest thing ever. And that would never have happened unless I you know, read too deeply into a television show and then talked into a microphone about it. John P. at Johnny DeCali sends us simply a broken heart emoji. Maybe Bernard was his favorite character. Perhaps. That's the same way I felt when Elsie died. We think. I don't know. At Very Lovely LJ. So much happened, I forgot this Westworld Ryan at least three times established, or four? Yeah, I think three timelines for sure. Possibly four. Yeah, timelines, time frames, who even knows at this point? Penny for the best name sent us some funny screen grabs this time, comparing some of the looks that Logan gave to some high-profile uh, people. <laughs> They're Basically funny. just saying that Logan Logan's a psychopath and, and naming perhaps other psychopaths. We get another theory from a very lovely LJ. Dolores is living through the Arnold years. Critical failure timeline and the present with the gunslinger. Is that all? Well, then there's also young Ford Bernard stuff going on. And then there's also possibly... The separate time frames are 34 to 37 years ago. The first three years in the park. And then the, the time frame after that is Beta Village massacre right before the park opens uh, Arnold's death park opens Bernard is created and then you fast forward 30 years to time frame number 3 which is William and Logan no William and Logan enter the park is 30 years ago. This is why this is confusing. When William and Logan enter the park 30 years prior you go 30 years in the future it is when the man in black is with Dolores uh, and Teddy Flood in, in the pilot. And then the other time frame that is kind of ambiguous is Dolores doing all of these things by herself. Okay. That makes sense. Very lovely, LJ. One last tweet. So many people are saying Billy isn't the gunslinger. What say you, fellas? I think he probably is. If he isn't, that's going to be some really convoluted mental gymnastics they're going to have to pull for him to not be the gunslinger at this point. I I mean, I'll come out and say, if William isn't the man in black, then I think that's dumb. 
<laughs> Let's just discuss the evidence. We did it last week, but there's more now. The knife. The shirt. The going insane. The the lines they repeat. Oh, this is all a game. I found the real game. I'm super into books. I like books. Books are great. The photo. Logan has the photo, which turns up later on in the timeline. I assume in episode 10, we'll see the man in black put that photo there. Assumably. What Charlotte Hale Where... said about the, the like you know him saving the company after the such and such disaster. Oh, and real quick, there was like a weird conversation in the past two weeks, kind of an anger uh, over Charlotte Hale's casting that she's too young of a person to be on an executive board with actually some fun conversation because it did spur the idea that perhaps the older population of the Earth is less than it used to be because the Earth sucks so much. But also, they were saying that they kind of wanted the woman who plays... Bernard's fake wife who plays Zoe in Firefly and Serenity they they wanted her to be cast uh, they thought she would be a better castmate as Charlotte Hale and I kind of like the Charlotte Hale that is, I mean I don't not like her she's a small part at this point to me that that one scene last episode where she was just naked with Hector was a little odd uh kind of felt HBO-y but uh I don't mind her yeah, it's not that big of a stretch for me. That that pharma bro, evil businessman Martin Shkreli, he's only like thirty, right? So yeah, and he's a big enough douche for us all to know. Pop culture eight at Rantasmo. After we have all watched season one several times to understand the chronology and the timelines, can this show have a long term life? I think the actual question you need to ask is, will Anthony Hopkins be alive in three years? Yeah, that's a great point. And either way, one thing I what we're also going to do is, when the season ends, we are going to have a big show, just a retrospective on the season. And uh, we'll talk about all those things when we get there. I have no idea how long that show will be. I think it will be as long as we allow it to be. It all depends on how they wrap this season up. I feel like clearly they didn't know if they were going to get renewed going in. So maybe this is a semi-open-ended last episode where it could end or it could leave it open for like a a second half or it could leave it open for a giant sprawling eight-season show. Yeah, my question is, if you are planning an eight-season show, what season is going to be dominated by the war? That's all I really care about. <laughs> I care about actually, I care about way more than that. But I think the long term, based on long term questions, that one's an important one. And, you know, depending on the advancements in life model decoy CGI Anthony Hopkins technology, the show could go on forever. Oh, that's actually pretty true. Just get all of the actors to, to, to read through the Webster Dictionary. So they, we have every version of every word that is in the English language so that we can just make this show into perpetuity. We got two emails this week. First one from Marlene M. writes, Hey guys, love the podcast. I faithfully listen every Thanks. week. That's very nice of her. So after the whole Bernard being a host reveal and the other employee who beat up Clementine, best name Pennyfeather, turning out to be a host, I believe Luke Hemsworth's character is most definitely a host. Just because he is always suspicious of hosts 
and is even afraid of them. Who knows, maybe he'll even help lead the revolution at some point. Hmm. Uh, Discount Matt Damon is probably one of the least rounded characters at this point, and a character that if and when this season two and or further seasons air, I think can be looked into a bunch more because we really haven't dove into what that dude is. Or he just died off screen (laughs) this episode. Yeah, he he might have just got Clever Girl tackled into the ground and then shot with an arrow in his face. We don't even know. Also, I'm thinking there's three timelines. One, where Dolores lived in his now discarded town, snapped, and began searching for the maze on her own and killed everyone over 35 years ago. Two, another one, maybe a couple years after that with William. Three, the one with the man in black in which we do not know what's really going on with her because we are concentrating on Maeve's awakening and Teddy's new storyline. Yeah, I think that's absolutely... Those are the three. Uh, Honestly, at this point, I think the way we have to start talking about time frames is in two parts. Dolores by herself and everything else. <laughs> because there's four there's four time frames. There, everyone's going between all of them all the time. They're always wearing different things. It's all very confusing. But I think the one that's most important is what is Dolores doing alone and how is it being informed by her past? That's our main narrator. And if you kind of stick with that, I think it will be easier to follow. But what if we do know what Dolores is up to in the third timeline? What if everything that we've seen her do, quote unquote, with William, she has been doing on her own, but is now remembering a time in the past when she did it with William? This is why sometimes William seems to disappear from the background. That goes to something you said earlier. She was confused, too. Yeah, and I think one of our other Twitter followers said a similar thing also. Yeah, it it was confusing, and which is, you know, I think it's been. I went back and I watched episode seven and episode eight, and when you go back and realize that she's reliving and using her past to inform her present while she's doing this journey by herself, uh, doing the maze by herself, again, you know, she's done it we at least once, if not more times. I think it's a cool I think it's the coolest part of the story and it was well hidden. So, congratulations showrunners of Westworld. We got another email from Sally M. Uh this may throw a wrench in the works of the multiple time frames theory. She writes, "Why can't there be more than one copy of each host? It seems likely in um, fact, otherwise there would be unhappy customers." What if you decide to visit Westworld because you've been hearing from your one percenter pals about how much fun they had torturing and raping the ranch family? But when you arrive, that adventure isn't available because it's in use by another customer. Could we interest you in a train robbery, perhaps? No, you could not. And 40 grand a day says I get to do the ranch adventure right now. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense for there to be multiple versions of, of robots. There are enough robots in the park where they're not just, like, stingy. They're not just like, no, we can't make another robot. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's very possible. It's just, it, it will be interesting to see if that is a, a, a can of worms the showrunners decide to open. Yeah, for all we know, there could be two or three Sweetwaters in the park or something. But uh, she goes on to say, this might help explain how there could only be one timeline. One timeline, but many versions of each host. Also, if William is the man in black, how can one explain that their faces look nothing alike? Also, William is taller and laggier. That's a good point. How did William get shorter when he grew up and became the man in black? 
they're two separate actors. Just deal with it. <laughs> it just reminds me of uh, there's a Family Guy bit where they're discussing how I met your mother, and he's like, "How come the main character is narrated by?" Oh shit, who's the actor? Bob Saget. Yeah, how come he's narrated by Bob Saget as an older man? I mean, he's already an adult. He's not going to grow into when Bob does he Saget. Beco- <laughs> yeah, when does he become Bob Saget? <laughs> I don't know. Just I think that's one of those moments where you just allow yourself to suspend disbelief and and just live it, man. She ends the email saying, "You guys have the best Westworld podcast, by the way. Thanks for doing it." That is really nice to hear, Sally. That's amazing because she has a million to choose from. Literally, there's actually a million. I counted all of them. She has a million to choose from, and she's here with us. I appreciate it. So yeah, thanks for everybody who tweeted and wrote in. Anybody else who's listening, send us a tweet, send us an email, and we'll read it on the next show. Yeah, especially this week, guys. This is episode 10. This is the season finale. Tell us what you think has been. we've been working up to this season. Tell us what you think the end of the season will bring. And tell us what you think the second season of this show will bring into our lives. I'm sure many more questions that won't be answered till the end making us completely addicted once more. And I think when we do our season one retrospective, we'll also have a section in there where we ask you guys to send in every comment, question, not that we'll know the answers, but we'll take a crack at them. Anything you've got to say about the show so we can discuss it live on the podcast. Absolutely. The Twitter reaction and the email reaction has been better than we've ever thought it was going to be. You guys have been so, so great. It's created a, a real conversation that I'm enjoying every week having. My moments on Twitter talking to you guys are some of the best t- moments of my week. It's uh, They're true decompression times where I just get to talk about a really fun show that we all like. So, uh, again, I said it a bunch of times today, but again, I just I really pre- appreciate everyone being here. This is a whole lot of fun, and we got one more episode to go. And thank you to everyone listening out there. If you're just listening, it means a lot to us, and we're so happy to have you. If you want to go the extra mile, you could follow us on Twitter, follow us on SoundCloud, or you could leave us a nice review on iTunes. That helps other people find us. And before we go, I want to just read one Dolores line from this episode, where she said, If it's such a wonderful place out there, why are y'all clamoring to get in here? I'm glad y'all are clamoring to get in here to our podcast where we are but i i think dolores does make a good point i bet i bet out there pretty much sucks (laughs) and with that come back next week and join us for season one episode 10 of westworld entitled the bicameral mind directed and written by jonah nolan and lisa joy i'm james and i'm ryan and this is the westworld podcast nice